Hi friends, and welcome to the True Speaks podcast with Jessica Lauren. I'm your host, Jessica, and I'm so stoked to be here with y'all. I started this podcast because I believe that one of the best things we can do is share life and conversations with others about the big things, about the hard things, and about the important things. And I am so excited to invite friends from all different places for some incredible conversations. Hey friends, today on the podcast, I am chatting with my friend Emily Holmes, and I'm just going to be upfront with y'all. We have a very real and honest conversation. We talk about what it looks like to pursue racial harmony as a believer, why it's so important for our churches to represent all kinds of skin color, how our eyes have been opened to privilege, and what the Lord has taught her while living in Memphis. Emily is an incredible wife, mama-to-be, and wedding photographer, and you guys are just going to be so inspired by this one. I just have no doubt about it. So here is my incredible conversation with my wonderful friend, Emily. I am. So thank you so much for being here today. I just have been so looking forward to this conversation for a long time now, and I'm really grateful that you're here. Me too. So excited to be here. I okay there's just so many things that I'm really excited for us to talk about but before we officially jump in I would love for you to share just a little bit about who you are and what your life looks like and all of those exciting things yeah so um I am an almost 26 year old newlywed um and due with our first baby in five weeks so that came a lot faster than we were expecting um I am a sinner saved by grace um, and need that grace every day. Um, and currently um, living in Memphis, Tennessee with my husband, um, working as a wedding photographer. So so fun. I love it's the coolest thing because, because we actually met because of wedding photography way back yeah. in the day. Our friendship started, I was I was 16 years old. Yeah. We were just little nuggets, and it was so fun just to see. One of my favorite things about our friendship is to see how it's grown and evolved over the years of lots of different seasons of our lives that we've walked through, Um, and we're not like the kind of friends that chat every day. We're just the kind of friends that um, check in every few months or sometimes even just once a year we get to sit down and have coffee and and have a little heart-to-heart, but I've always been so grateful for your friendship and it's meant so much to me, and I just love you as a sister, and so it just means so much for you to be here today. Same, and yeah, I just want to say, I think that's the beauty of, um, I don't know, friendships like that, that can just pick up whenever, yes. um, that it's rooted in the gospel, truly, but um, also just the fact that there's such a willingness to learn. Like, even though there's an age gap between us, um, I've never, ever felt that because I felt like we both came from a place of um, just desiring to learn from each other and learn from others and um, take that and use that to bless those around us as much as we can. And um, so, yeah, so whenever we get time together, it's the best. It's such a gift. I just, those are my favorite friendships. I love, my friends are great because they're a little bit low maintenance, you know what I mean? And that like, you know, I love the kind of friends that yeah. are not, that, not that you don't want to pursue like a really tight um, friendship, but that sometimes life is just crazy and we live in totally different places. And so it's not super realistic for us to keep up all the time. And yet the kind of friendships where you just, like you said, you pick back up right where you left off the last time and you just love each other. And in a moment of crisis, you know, you can pray for each other or celebrate with one another. And it is just the biggest gift. So it just makes my heart so happy. I love it. Totally agree. Love it so much. Okay, so my first question for you is, what initially brought you to Memphis? Because your family, you don't have any family that lives in Memphis right now, outside of your sister, I believe. Yeah, yeah, correct. So um, I was born in Memphis. Um, My parents moved here for my dad's job, right, like literally the week after they got married, um, and lived here for several years. And so, um, I, along with some of my siblings, um, were born here. Um, so very, very loose roots here. We moved away when I was seven, um, made a couple major moves again for my dad's job. Um, and yeah, didn't have any real connections here. Didn't have, um, extended family here, had a few of my parents, old friends that were here, but not, 
anyone that I personally really kept up with and only some people that they, they kind of kept up with. Um, but as I was, um, working my way through high school, for whatever reason, Memphis just kept being put on my heart and, um, looked into a couple different ways that I could get back here, was trying to figure out what I was going to do post high school. Um, and all those doors just kept shutting. Um, long story short, um, the Lord ended up teaching me a lot about contentment and, um, learning to live well in Indianapolis where I was at the Mm -hmm. time. And I'd totally forgotten about, um, all these desires to move to Memphis. And then I booked a wedding in Memphis. I was at the beginning of my wedding photography career and I booked a wedding in Memphis that brought me down here and I reconnected with um, some of my parents' old friends. And I had always heard stories from my parents about what Memphis was like when I was a kid and the brokenness that was here, the way that um, white flight was so prevalent, the way that so many of the churches were turning a blind eye to the needs in the city. Um, and I, when I came back to photograph that wedding and was kind of getting reconnected, I was hearing all these positive, encouraging things of what the Lord had done in the previous 15, 20 years. And just how he had, um, been working in the hearts of so many people to, um, to, and open their eyes to see the need in the city and, and to, um, engage with it. And so, um, that all of a sudden just started fanning those flames that had kind of been dormant for a minute. And, um, and I, I just started thinking, okay, how can I get back here? Um, and I had, I'd been working for a urban, um, ministry in Indianapolis that worked with single unwed moms, um, just providing resources and discipleship for them. Um, and I'd been there for a few years, but got into a place where, um, I really needed discipleship and instruction in my own life. I was only 21, um, was getting put in mentorship positions, um, with women that had way more life experience than I had. And I was just feeling very inadequate in that. So as I'm, you know, I'm in Memphis and I'm making these, um, connections again, and I'm hearing what the Lord's doing and, also simultaneously had just been praying that the Lord would provide some way for me to be poured into and to learn and to grow. Um, so all these things combined and, um, I heard about an internship program here that focuses on, um, incarnational living, intentional neighboring, um, discipleship, urban ministry, all those things combined. Um, and it really was just this answer to prayer of, um, of what I was hoping to do next. And so I, um, looked into that internship a little bit more, applied for it. All the doors just flew open. All these doors that had been closed before every time I tried to come to Memphis flew open. And, um, and about six months later, six or nine months later, I moved to Memphis to do this internship. Um, so yeah, that's how I got got back here and ended it. up living like a mile from the house I lived in as a kid, like in the same neighborhood. Like it was just crazy seeing yeah. so many things come full circle. Oh, I love that. That is so incredible. I love how, and I think this is something that is so interesting because I think through the course of our lives, the Lord can put something on our hearts and sometimes it's just not the right time. And mm-hmm. you have this burden on your soul for this thing or this person or whatever it is. And there's just not an open door there. And yet that that came completely full circle with your burden for Memphis and what you wanted to, you know, what you wanted to be a part of there. And when it was the right time, those doors were just swung right open. Like that is just so incredible. You know, it's just such a reminder that we can completely trust where the Lord leads and where he's taken us. Because even though it doesn't always look like everything we have in mind, that Mm -hmm. he's so trustworthy with it. Absolutely. I love that. I love that so much. Okay, so this is kind of a weighty question and a a big question, um, but when did you feel like your eyes were first open to privilege as, you know, a white female? What did that look like for you? Um, Because I know that sometimes this can be a process that is um, sometimes hard to have our eyes open to, and so where did you feel like this began, this this softening of your heart to, um, you know, something that I believe is an issue for all believers everywhere that's a gospel issue of 
you know, racial harmony? And where did you feel like that your eyes were first open to that? Yeah, I think for me, a lot of that started um, with coming into closer proximity with people that yeah. didn't look like me. Um, thankfully, I was raised in a home where, you know, my parents were always very um, cognizant of giving us those opportunities and um, wanted us to be um, aware and taking part in relationships like that. Um, but living in Indianapolis, it's not a very diverse city and we lived in the suburbs. And so there's just so little opportunity for that. Um, if you just stay in the suburbs. Um, and so I learned, I had a foundation and understanding that my parents had instilled in me, but it really wasn't, um, I didn't, I don't think I really recognized the term like white privilege or Mm. white savior complex or any of those things until I, um, began working in the urban communities in Indianapolis and became, um, came into closer proximity with, um, with impoverished individuals, with, um, you know, people that were, um, just in such need and coming from such broken situations. Um, and side note to that tangent, uh, I think in that, um, I don't think I I heard those terms first, but I definitely came into those situations thinking, oh, I've been so blessed. Like, this is what I can give to them. Like, they're the ones in need. And um, and very quickly began learning, like, oh, no, we are all in need. We mm-hmm. all have brokenness in our lives. Um, and, and through many gracious people and different relationships, and conversations came to have a better understanding of um, what that white savior complex was and what I was doing when I came into those neighborhoods thinking, oh, I'm going to save them. I'm going to fix their problems. I think that's really big for people, myself, to hear just because we, I don't know about you, but I like to fix things just in general. Like if there's a problem, like let's go fix it. Let's figure out a solution And I've learned that in huge ways just through um, doing prison ministry that, my goodness, like, this is not about me walking in and fixing a problem because, first of all, um, I am completely ignorant in so many areas of um, what I could even do. But ultimately, like, any kind of issues, any kind of brokenness in our world, ultimately the solution does not lie with me in any sort of way. Like, the solution is always Jesus. And so it is humbling when you come to this this place in your life where you realize oh my word like this was never about me coming in and fixing anything like this was always so much bigger than that and it is a beautiful process it's a humbling process um and something that I am continuing to learn in this season of my life like what does that look like to to understand that the answer doesn't ever lie with us like the answer is always outside of that you know and that can be really difficult to really get your arms around that Mm mm-hmm yeah, totally agree. And just that that brokenness doesn't just lie, and and po- poverty and brokenness don't just lie in material mm. uh, poverty or um, you know things related to that. Like there's um, there's poverty of spirit. There's brokenness oh girl, uh, yes. in relationship between us and the Lord. Um, and those are the things that have to be repaired first you know, if we're, um, going to get anywhere long in the long term with those other needs. Um, but also they truly go hand in hand because, um, we can, we can use, um, the avenues of meeting someone's material needs in the moment to open the door to, um, you know, sharing with them, you know, who is, who's the ultimate healer and redeemer that can, um, repair that brokenness in their lives. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I love what you said about there was a a flip, this switch. And we kind of talked about this a little bit before we officially started recording of, you know, just this concept that when our life starts to touch something, it changes the way that we look at it. And Mm -hmm. a lot of times in my own life, I've formed opinions about things before Mm -hmm. my life touched anything about that. And so I had these ideas in my head about X, Y, and Z. And yet I was so ignorant and unaware. Like 
I had no, I had no room to be making judgment calls when I had no idea what was even going on. Like I was just living with my eyes, like completely blind to the reality. And until like your life starts to touch it, you don't even know. Yeah, totally agree. Yep. It's just, I think that is one of my favorite things. And part of the reason why I wanted to start this podcast is because, um, you know, I think we're all called to different places and spaces. I think in particular, we're all called um, to pursue racial harmony in, in our churches, in our country, just in general as people. Um, and I think that is so incredibly important. But I think um, in particular, I've seen in you, you know, the Lord do just incredible work through your life. Um, and I've seen you intentionally pursue um, friendships and relationships and ministry and all these things um, with people that don't look like you. And I've been so grateful to see that because it has encouraged me and it has helped bring awareness to me. And so part of the reason why I want to have this conversation is, you know, sometimes our life has not intersected with those things before. And so it's really hard to get our arms around, okay, what does it look like to be intentional with this? And obviously it's a, it's a process for all of us. None of us are, you know, have ever arrived or anything like that and yeah I do think it's super important as the body of Christ to link arms with one another and be like hey here's what I'm learning like here's what the Lord is teaching me like here's maybe where we need to be more aware and um have have more open eyes to see what is actually going on and so I just think it is just such an encouragement um to me to see what you're doing and to hear from you and hear your heart for this, um, because I know that this has been something that you've been faithful in over years, that this isn't just something that you jumped on some bandwagon and decided um, to be a part of. Like you, you moved, you uprooted your life and, and moved to Memphis, you know? And so that's a big, that's a big life change. Um, but it's been really beautiful to see what the Lord has been doing in your life over the past few years. I just love that. Mm, thanks it's for that encouragement. Um, I think it's so humbling to hear that because I'm also simultaneously, you know, reminded of, um, the times when I wasn't so aware and also mm-hmm. being humbled in this moment of the things that I still don't know. Um, you know, the Lord's been gracious in bringing people into my life that have taught me so much and allowed me to, um, to learn and have my eyes open, um, to so many things that they weren't before. Um, but I still have so far to go. And so, I pray that um, those relationships he's allowed me to um, cultivate, continue to grow and continue to show me that same grace as I learn. um, And as I, as I move forward, Um, I think I, um, I don't know, since we're talking about, you know, Memphis and the city that I live in and that I love um, and that I've gotten to, um, be, be a part of for the last several years. Um, I'm also just reminded of the fact that, um, in terms of, um, racism and seeking racial harmony, um, this is a city where it's in our face every day. Mm. But I remember so clearly growing up in Indiana, for example, where it's not, and it looks different. And, um, just want to speak for a second about that, because I think, Um, It can be very easy, especially as white um, evangelicals, um, to feel like we live in a um, post-racial society. Mm, Yeah, let's talk about that. Like, hey, like, I'm not racist. Like, I don't have any issue with someone that looks different than me. And and I'm not just talking black and white. Like, I'm talking any um, cultural difference. But... um, it's just very easy to to say like, I'm fine, you know, with them. I don't, I don't have issue. Um, when I walk down the street, it's not a big deal when I interact with those. Um, but if we stop to look and to listen and to pay attention to things, there is, um, there's still so much of that that is prevalent. Um, I think, in contrast, for example, um, I um, happened to date an African-American when I lived in Indianapolis. And it was one of those things where nobody really turned an eye at us. Like it was, you know, a fairly normal thing to see mixed couples on the streets. Um, 
people were pretty open to that. And then I came to Memphis and um, dated and married an African-American. And we have had such different responses to our relationship here. Um, And so um, that just reminds me of, um, I don't know, when it's in your face all the time and you have to deal with it, you you do. And you get used to it being part of the conversation all the time. Um, But when... um, I think it can be even more dangerous when um, so much of the racism is underlying and it's just Mm. accepted. And we as um, white Americans are not going to be the first to recognize it and to see it because it's not pointed at us. We're not the receivers of that. Um, And which makes it um, that much more important that we engage with and start those conversations with people that don't look like us saying, what is it like for you? What can I learn from you? What do you experience? Yes. Well, and that for me, you know, I grew up in a home where, you know, my parents, I had great parents, great family that loved me and supported me. And I, you know, didn't realize I had friends when I was little that were African-American and, you know, you're a kid, you don't know what's anything. And so you just think everything's good and everything's normal. And most of the African-American people in our family's lives were, you know, like in that same middle class as us. And like, I was just ignorant. Like I was completely unaware of um, anything to do with that. And I just thought you love people and everybody loved people. And that was normal, that that was how things went. And I didn't realize that even in my, um, my idea that everything was good, I was completely ignorant that there are some things that are not good and that are not okay. And some people that are walking through some incredibly difficult situations because of, you know, systematic and and generational brokenness that has been in place for years and decades. And I was totally blind to that because I thought everything was fine. And I thought everything was good, but just because I think everything's fine and I think everything's good doesn't mean that everything is fine and good. And so I loved what you said about having those conversations with people that say, you know, hey, like, how how do you feel about this? You know, mm-hmm. just because I feel this way about it doesn't mean that that's the reality for everyone, you know? And so that's been really eye-opening for me to see, oh my goodness, like, what is true about my life is not necessarily true about everyone's life, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So true. Yeah. Whether it's on a, um, a racial or even a socioeconomic, um, playing field. Right. Um, I think, you know, like you said, you referenced these, um, you referenced knowing African-Americans when you're growing up that were in the same economic class as you. Right. So it's really easy to feel like, Oh, their lives are fine. They don't, you know, um, come into, they don't, they don't face the same kind of racism. Um, it's really easy to think that it's also very easy to, um, look at those who are in a lower socioeconomic, um, status, whether they be white or African-American or Latino or, or whatever, um, and immediately assume things about their life and what they're experiencing as well. Um, it makes me think of a couple different like situations and experiences that I have come into contact with the, the last couple of years um, in building relationships with a couple of different people, um, both on a cultural and a racial um, level, but um, specifically just speaking to why it's so important that we have those conversations and, and allow ourselves to um, be open to different ways of doing things. Um, I think before I launch into to those stories really quick, I just want to preface it by saying um, I think it's wonderful and good when we have interactions with those who don't look like us, don't have the same kind of background as us in our workplace, in our churches. Like, yes, those places should be diverse, but they can't stop there. If that's yeah. our only interaction, um, it's never, there's never going to be a depth there and there's never going to be, um, or not that there won't be a depth there, but there won't be a level of learning that can come from doing life with people. And, um, I heard it once said that, um, 
the color of feet under your dining room table speaks to the diversity in your life. Mm. And I love that because if you think of your home, it's the most intimate place in your life, right? And um, it's where everything happens. And it's a big deal to be invited into somebody's home and to get to see that. Um, And it's also past your workplace environment or your church environment that's where everyone is coming together and meshing together. Um, It's a place that's unique to you and your family. Um, And I think it is so important that as we approach these relationships and as we desire to get to know people and their stories on a, on a different level that we be willing to welcome people into our homes Mm -hmm. where, um, where those conversations can take place, where it's not a, um, let me help you, let me fix you, let me bring my solutions to the table. Yeah. It's a, hey, how can I get to know you? What is, what's important to you and your family? What do you experience on a day-to-day basis? Um, what is cultural norm for you? Um, so that's that's just something that I'm really passionate about. I think the Lord has just made me really passionate about bringing that. people together around the table anyway. Yes. Um, but but especially making sure that we, we do that across racial boundaries. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I just want to share these two stories really quick, just kind of to, um, emphasize that. So, um, I, several years ago began getting to know a friend who's Latina and, um, she, I remember, um, she would welcome me into her home and I would see how she did things and it was different. And, um, she began inviting me whenever, um, they had family birthday parties or other events, she would invite me and she would say, Oh, the party's starting at, you know, three o'clock or whatever. And, you know, just like a typical type A white American, I'd show up at three o'clock or even sometimes a little, you know, just a little bit after, but pretty much around three and nothing would get started for like two hours. Like nobody else would show up for like two hours or three hours. And, um, and I would get to engage with them, but I'm thinking, I'm looking at my you know, phone, looking at the time, thinking of my schedule, being like, okay, I was planning on being at this party for like an hour, maybe two, you know, because I have to go to this next thing on my schedule. And, um, but I don't want to, you know, seem like I'm leaving before the party's got started, you know, just all of that. And what I quickly came to realize, and she kind of said this once, she was like, you know, whenever we have parties, like it's only the Americans that show up at three, like everyone else knows oh. not to come till like 530 or oh six. And it was just, it was an eye opening thing to me of how I was bringing my cultural norms, um, to a place where they didn't really belong. And there's not anything inherently wrong with being timely and having a schedule, but, as I was, you know, building, trying to build a relationship with this family, um, that was something that very easily could have gotten in the way of our relationship, right? Because they were, they were seeking to invite me into their world. Um, but I was, if I had stayed true to that, like, I can only, you know, I'm going to get here at three, I can only stay an hour. Like that would have been limiting what, you know, could have been there for us to grow our relationship. And so I quickly learned, okay, when I get invited to a party, like I'm going to block out my whole evening and I'm not going to, if I show, you know, if I show up a little earlier, you know, if I show up at four or something, it's for the purpose of like helping out with the, you know, party prep and just spending time with them. But like, I learned that, oh no, it's so much more accepted if I show up later. And that is engaging in their culture and putting aside things that are just normal for me um getting uncomfortable I think is so I I was talking with my friend earlier today and you know just about the fact that God nowhere in scripture does the Lord ever call us to be comfortable in any sort of capacity and so sometimes that looks like giving up what is our normal or type a or you know whatever that is and it can it can be so small but like it can feel pretty big you know what I mean when it impacts you know our schedule or whatever you know how we can be sometimes about these little things like they can they can kind of set you off which is ridiculous on the grand scheme of things and yet you know the reality is sometimes being uncomfortable actually I would say a lot of times being uncomfortable is the best thing 
for us because it pushes us to see things outside of our norm. You know what I mean? Totally agree. It's kind of like anytime you travel to a different country or, or even maybe just a different state, but mm-hmm. you're like, this is different. And we, we tend to embrace that so well when we're going to another country, but you bring that other country to us in our country and we get very like staunchly like, no, you need to uh, assimilate to how I am and mm. you need to become how I am, you know? And yeah. You need to be that way. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, okay. I don't want to derail you from your second story, because no, um, but I'm tucking something away that I want to chat about after this one. Oh yeah. No, you're fine. Well, I was just going to um, share that. I think another piece of, um, this like engaging with, with others that don't have stories like us is, um, taking note of the stereotypes that are there that we've heard, um, over and over about their culture or their socioeconomic status or whatever it might be. Um, and taking those stereotypes and being willing to get into an uncomfortable space, not an offensive space, but an uncomfortable space with them where we ask them about that. And we say, like, is this true for you? And so oftentimes when it's not, or maybe it is, it's like, oh, it's not. So, like, tell me about that. Um, Or even just um, learning about different cultural norms. Like, I remember um, building relationships with African-American girls, and I knew nothing about their hair or their texture, right? Like, I'd always heard so many things, and I know how I do with my hair, and I know how I style it and have to treat it and I would hear them say things in passing and I would you know see them one week and then see them the next and they had totally different hair and like you know I had my assumptions about that or things people told me but I didn't know anything about Mm. that right and I think amongst you know um different white friends like if that ever came up in conversation it was always just assumptions or stereotypes labeled to that nobody ever knew or had bothered to ask like so how do you do your hair? Like yeah. what's different? And like, how do you style it? And in a inquisitive, like, I'm actually really curious. I want to know way, not like a, you know, offensive way. And so, um, I began asking girls, like, as we were just hanging out, I'd be like, so like, what is weave? Like, I'm really, ignorant. I don't I know what it. it is. Um, what does it mean to like get crochet, you know, braids or box braids or what does it mean to get a perm? You know, like a perm mm-hmm. for you means straight. A perm for me means curly. Like yeah. just yeah. kind of going through the um, vocabulary of that and breaking it down and um, and just learning more about a basic thing like that and received so much positive feedback from those conversations because they were like, oh, you really care. Like you want to know, like, just something that's an everyday part of my life, but it's very different than your life. And, um, and you actually want to know what that's like. Um, and so I just, that is just something that I have learned, um, is that most people are not very offended when you ask Mm. questions like that. You know, I think if we flip it around the other way, if I'm asked, um, questions about my life, even little things like that. Like, why do you have to wash your hair like every other day or every three days or whatever, you know, like it just gives me an opportunity to explain something that seems so normal to me, but that's not the norm for somebody else. Um, and it creates a better camaraderie, um, and understanding, um, that a friendship can then be built off of. Yeah. I love that. I think that's so fun. And it is, it's so true. Like if somebody was at, like people ask me, I have red curly hair and they're like, oh my gosh, like, how do you do your, you know, your curly hair? Like I, I try all the things, you know, and they ask me that all the time and it, it doesn't ever, you know, it's like, oh yeah, let me tell you about this mousse from Walmart I use, you know, and it's just, yeah. it's just a conversation, but it does, it helps you. It's, it's funny because we like to share things about ourselves. That's, I think that as a, as a human being, for the most part, like when somebody asks you, you to share something about yourself, even as small as how do you do your hair, you're pretty willing to share that, you know, and it's like, oh, it's great. And it it sparks conversation. And then you talk about your favorite hair products and la-di-da-di-da. And it's just fun and it builds community, you know, and even in those simple conversations. And so I love that there can be so much beauty in that, you know, And, and talking about those, even those little differences between us that just are so, um, it's, it's, 
it's fun and it builds that community between people. So I love that. I think that's so cool. So I wanted to ask you, um, you know, in our, in our churches, sometimes we can feel like, well, I, they should come to my church and assimilate to the way that I do things, um, on, on either side and in any kind of, um, in any kind of church body. And so, I would just love to hear your thoughts on how do we be in- intentional to um, embrace cultural diversity in our churches? And I know um, that you love your church that you're a part of. And so I would just love to hear, um, you know, if you have any thoughts on that or your heart behind that and kind of what that looks like fleshed out really well where you are. Yeah. Um, I don't know that I can answer that question really fully because I feel like it's such a work in progress and oh, things I'm learning, learning all the time. Um, I remember hearing once when um, I moved back here to Memphis that um, Sunday morning is the most racially segregated time of the week mm-hmm. in a city. And, um, and I think it's, it's not just rooted in the fact that um, there are people that just want to stay separate, um, and don't want to engage and don't want to, um, you know, come together. I think a lot of it's rooted in, um, we like comfort. Like you mentioned that earlier, we like comfort. We like the, the cultural norms that we've always known. Um, you know, whether it's a black church or a white church, like we, um, we, yeah, we just like what we've always known. And so it's hard to step out of that. And it's hard to ask others to step out of that and to, um, embrace something different. Um, I have had the opportunity to be a part of a lot of different churches in my short life, um, and have experienced many times when bullseye issues, um, well, when I, I should say when um, issues that weren't bullseye issues were made to be bullseye issues. Mm-hmm. And I think that's another um, divider as we seek to bring people together in unity with the Lord that have different cultural backgrounds, right? Um, one of the things I've been so thankful about our church is that um, they have those bullseye issues as far as, you know, who is Jesus and who is he to us and what is salvation and what is eternity? And like those things are bullseye and those are kept central, but on the things that are not, you know, where the, where the scripture gives us liberty, um, and you know, where there's cultural differences, like we seek to come together and learn from each other and grow from each other in that. And that, I think can sound so liberal to some believers. Um, they, they like a more tightly knit doctrine, um, with a lot of, um, with a lot of do's and don'ts, but it has been really, really beautiful to see our body grow together in grace as we bring different, um, cultural norms to the table, whether that's how we worship, um, or in music, like the, the style of music that we use, um, or even in style of preaching, um, or even in, um, just how we interact and engage in the field, the service, um, being mindful that, um, just because, you know, say white evangelicals have done something in tradition for so long or because African-American charismatics have done something in tradition for so long doesn't make it the only way or the right way. Um, and so um, kind of evaluating both of those sides and yeah. saying, you know, what are things that need to be let go for the sake of the body of Christ um, to come together in unity? And what are things that we can um can bring together to make us stronger together in um, growing in our relationships with the Lord in loving and seeking justice in the community around us. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that like you made such a good point in that we really have to ask ourselves a question, like, is this a doctrinal issue? Like an issue that is not aligning with, you know, what scripture points out is like, Hey, this is black and white. Like, you know, we believe that Jesus is, you know, our salvation and like these things, or is this just, me being uncomfortable issue. You know what I mean? Because it can be, it can be really easy to be critical and be like, well, this is not how I do things, or this is not how I think things should be done. And yet 
am I feeling that way because I'm uncomfortable and change is, is awkward sometimes and it, it feels hard and it's not easy? Or do I feel that way because there's actually something, you know, biblically and doctrinally wrong? And so that can be, you know, kind of a hard question to wrestle with because it really exposes a lot of selfishness in me and that, oh, do I, you know, do I not like this because it's not the way I think it should be done? Or do I not like this because the Bible says that it's wrong, you know, and it's like, man, that'll, that'll convict you right there. You know what I mean? Totally agree. Yep. Yeah. So what do you think it looks like in our everyday lives, in our churches, in our homes? Um, and I know you kind of talked about this, but to be really intentional to pursue racial harmony. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I think that is the key word is intentionality. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, my husband and I have joked a lot about both the word cultivate and the word intentionality and it's, it's, you know, they can easily be overused and we get tired of hearing them. It's such a Christianese term, but, um, but truly if, um, you know, if I am not intentional to, um, to cultivate those relationships, to put myself in maybe uncomfortable situations and places in order to, um, come face to face with, you know, people that look differently than I do. Um, it's not going to happen at least not, um, not on the scale that I believe the Lord wants us to engage in that. Um, again, you know, I kind of touched earlier that sometimes, um, even just geographically, um, it can be more in our face than not, you know, here I live in Memphis right now and the city demographics are something about like 60% African American, um, 30% white and 10% other. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, um, if I'm not engaging with African Americans, like that means I'm having to be pretty intentional not to right? like, there's more, um, more of them here than, you know, than whites. But then I think about the, a city like Indianapolis where I used to live, where it's something like 70% white and then breaking down the other 30%. Um, and it's really different, right? I have to be more intentional, especially, um, especially if that looks like going into a neighborhood that's different than the neighborhood I live in, because that's where that community is. Mm Um, and so I think being, being willing, um, but also checking our hearts (laughs) as to why we're doing that and what our, uh, intentions are with that mm-hmm. and what our goals are with that. Right. Yeah. Um, if I am truly seeking these relationships to learn from them and to reconcile, um, the division that's been there, then that's a beautiful place to be. Mm-hmm. But if I'm seeking these relationships because I feel like they need something from me or that I can fix the issue or, um, you know, that I can come in and save something, um, very quickly. I mean, they will pick up on that immediately and very quickly that, um, is going to go way wrong and I will get really frustrated in the end. Yeah. Um, Like that can do a lot more harm than it'll do good. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I think you, you started off or maybe we were talking about this, um, before we started recording, but just, um, how learning is so important and having that posture and willingness, um, to learn, recognizing we don't know all things. Um, but also willingness to learn from those who have very different stories from us, even if, um, even if on the outside socioeconomically or otherwise, we look like we're the ones that have the hand up, right? Um, there's still so much that can be learned um, vice versa. Oh, absolutely. And I look back in my life and I, like you, when I was walking through seasons of just total ignorance to, um, the fact that there was any kind of racial tension or brokenness in our country. Um, I remember distinctly your friendship was so gracious to me, um, and in my total blindness and you were such a kind friend and speaking truth to me, um, in love. 
And mm -hmm. I really got to see a beautiful picture of that. And I didn't really realize the magnitude of that until mm -hmm. I was somewhat on the other side and I could look back and be like, man, like I would have had a hard time having a conversation with me, you know, like three mm -hmm. or four years ago. And, um, and I look back at that and I just see the grace that you showed me and that, um, mm -hmm. and yet also the example that you were to me, um, just with your life. And I think that one of the most beautiful things is when you can look at somebody's life and see them lead by example and by the things that they're doing, because sometimes our world, our words can fall on deaf ears and, mm -hmm. you know, words can just be words. And yet when you look at the way that somebody lives their life, that can be a massive impact. And I think, um, in our friendships, I think that that is huge that, um, that we can be, that we can be leaders in the way that we love people. And I'm grateful that you were that to me. You still are that to me, but, um, in such a big way that like you were that to me and you, um, really were a beautiful picture of what it looks like to pursue unity, um, in a really genuine way. And I know that we're, you know, none of us are perfect and all of those things. And, and, and yeah, I'm very grateful, um, for that in you. And I think that it is a really, um, beautiful thing. And the Lord is really teaching me right now that there's a verse in James chapter four that says wisdom from above is first of all, pure, mm -hmm. um, peaceable, gentle, open to reason, you know, and it goes on. And I love that part that says that wisdom from above is open to reason. And yeah. I think living in this tension and in this place that we know the truth of, of the Bible, like we have that as our foundation, but we've yeah. never arrived. Right? Yeah. Like we've never made it. And yeah. so if I ever think that I know all the things, like that's when I know that I for sure don't know all the things, you know? And so I want to be in a place personally that I am open to reason, that I'm not so stuck in my ways that I'm unwilling to hear someone say something that might even rub me the wrong way, that might even go against something that I've always thought, you know, because I think I'm right. And and I want to be soft-hearted, but I think we have to be really intentional to be soft-hearted because that is not easy. Yeah, I I totally agree. And I'm just reminded of the many people in my life that um, have, yeah, been gracious with me and my ignorance as well, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I think you touched on that, that um, so much of this does come by um watching those, you know, who are living a life, like, um, learning from the example because, um, and being willing to be shaped and molded ourselves, um, in that, because we can seek to share with others as much as we want. Um, but it's really, and we can, we can seek all the knowledge and learning that we want as well, but it's really the Lord that, um, softens our heart, that opens the eyes of our hearts, that makes us aware of things that we were once ignorant to. Um, and I think that that, that has been something that has come back to me over and over as I, um, will sometimes now get frustrated with, with people I know in their ignorance. Um, because, it is frustrating. You mm -hmm. see the injustices and then you see the people that could make change and they don't see, they don't see it. And that's so hard to live under and to walk with. Um, but then I'm once again reminded of my own ignorance and mm -hmm. that I was once there, um, just in the same way that like, you know, I look at an unbeliever and I want them to be saved and they're walking in brokenness and and I'm just like how do you not see mm -hmm. and then I I remember how I once was blind to that as well yeah. and um it gives it breeds compassion and grace in my heart that wouldn't otherwise be there um and I'm thankful for that um because otherwise I would in my in my own flesh, just be walking around a very, very judgmental person, right. really upset that, you know, that there's so much injustice, um, that no one seems to be addressing, you know? Right. right. Absolutely. I love that. And I think that's so important because it is like, we have to be reminded because we can, I can get on whole tangents about things, you know, about, you know, X, Y, and Z. And I'm like, wait, like that was me. And so I think that, 
in a way I'm I'm grateful that I was once there because it allows me to see oh yeah like I can't get on some high horse and think that I know now you know because yeah. I was so unaware you know and it helps me to yeah. show grace and compassion and be like okay like how do I how can we get from point A to point B in that journey you know and what does that look like to link arms with people and walk alongside of people and to do that in love and um in a way that just like exudes jesus you know in every every sense of the way so i love that and i think that that is so big and so important um so i know that you're a big reader and i know that we have texted and sent like book recommendations and that kind of stuff back and forth um do you have any books about this that have been really impactful for you that you love that you're like anybody who's interested in and just kind of becoming more aware of actually what is going on and how to walk in love and um just have get a up close and personal look at that do you have any books that you would recommend um for people to read about that yeah um well, off the top of my head um, are three titles that come to mind that specifically um, deal with um, the black and white side of, of racism. And I think, you know, living here in Memphis is definitely the one that is in my face more than more than any other, even though the others are um, still just as relevant as we, you know, um, engage with um people of all nations, but, um, just mercy is one that we have talked about a yeah. lot, um, that we both read and, um, is just so eye opening in, um, looking at the legal system and how that has been, um, framed against blacks. Mm-hmm. Um, with that are two, um, two documentaries actually that were really helpful to me. One is called 13. It's available on Netflix um, that digs even deeper into, um, into our, our current um, justice system and how um, it enslaves blacks, how it, there's such a pipeline from the schools to the prisons. Um, there's also a documentary. Um, I think it's called the Pruitt I go, um, community or something. Now, now I'm doubting myself. This is what Google's um, for. You just kind of type in something like it, and it'll pop something up. Something like that. Yeah, but it it talks about how projects were first developed and started in America, yeah. um, and what their purpose was for. But then how they quickly um were turned into um you know these uh these places of keeping the blacks and the African Americans in certain parts of the city and, and, um, keeping them from, um, being able to pursue the American dream, be able to pursue healthier economic stability for their families. Um, so those are, <laughs> you asked for books, but those are two documentaries hey, too, that, I will super take it. Um, yeah. that, that go with that. Um, another book, um, that is just, really eye-opening in seeing a little bit of the world from a black man's perspective is um, it's called Between the World Between the World and Me, I believe, by Ta-Nehisi Coates. Um, and it's a letter that he writes to his son, um, just kind of saying, like, this is what you're going to have to face um, someday. And, um, yeah, that was just so eye-opening to me because it's such a candid um perspective um at what african-american males have to go through um every day um and then lastly this is not um not a true story in and of itself nor is it a biography or anything else um but it's one that i think paints a very simple but candid picture of um what so many people in the hood relate to as life. Um, and that would be um, the hate you give. Um, and I know that that was pretty popular recently. It was turned into a movie as of all things, the book is way better than the movie. Um, but it was something as I was reading that book, um, you know, I've, I've not experienced those things in my own life, but in being in relationship with so many people who have, 
as I was reading the book, it was just like, yes, I get this perspective. Yes, I understand this. Yes, this is why they're, you know, making the choices that they are. Um, and it made me just wish that so many, um, so many middle-class whites that grew up kind of like I did could read it and have maybe have their eyes open. Maybe that's the wrong, wrong reason for wanting them to read it. But, um, but it just gave such a simple breakdown of so many of those thought processes. And even though it's a fiction book, um, it did so well at capturing that and capturing so many of the stereotypes that I know from my own, um, understanding growing up and from those around me, um, that often just get so skewed that we live into those stereotypes, believe those stereotypes and make our judgments based off of those instead of learning what the, the deeper picture is. Um, so that's, that's just another one that I would really encourage reading. I, def- so I, we both have read Just Mercy and I love that book so much. It is, I really do think that everyone everywhere in America should read that book because I feel like you cannot read that and then not walk away from it different. Um, mm-hmm. It was so good. And uh, I just love that book so much. Um, but I will have to pick up those other two because they sound amazing. And I, I, I don't know about you. I'm a really good book starter. I'm not <laughs> always the best book finisher. <laughs> yeah. But uh, but I want to be better at, at finishing books. I have like 10 right now that I've started and not finished. But I did finish Just Mercy. And that one of the things that I loved about Just Mercy was that it gave you a lot of information, but it was so engaging. Like you were so a part of the story, almost to the point where it, it's not an easy read. Like it's a gut-wrenching read, and yet it's true. And mm-hmm. so and you it's undeniably true. And so it was just a powerful, powerful book that is incredibly eye-opening, even working in the, you know, in the just, in the correctional system a little bit. Um, it was, it was even eye-opening for me, you know? And so, and also affirming to, you know, I think if I would have read that book before I had ever been in a prison, um, Mm -hmm. consistently, I would have even possibly thought, oh man, well that had to be like isolated, that incident or, you know, that, that, oh, that's super awful that that happened, but, like, surely that's not the norm, you know? And then now that I've... Yeah, yeah, yeah. and now that I have been in there, I'm like, oh, that is not, unfortunately, like, that is true a lot of the time. You know, unfortunately, like, that was not just a random incident. Like, unfortunately, that is very true of our correctional system, and it is, like, so eye-opening. So if you, if you're someone who has never um, read that book or heard of that book, you need to go get it because it will change your life and change the way that, that you look at so many different things. Yeah. And this incident you're referring to in the book is just, um, for those who haven't read, but it's just um, of someone being misjudged for a crime that they didn't commit mm-hmm. just because of... Um, yeah, unfortunately, the the community that was around him at the time that just wanted to lay blame some, at someone's door um, yeah. and how hard it was to, um, yeah, to undo that and fight against that injustice. So, yeah, it's yeah. a powerful book. And I love what they're still doing. You know, the, the author, Brian Stevenson, is like yep. still championing, you know, justice in so many arenas. And it's really cool to see, um, you know, see things that happened that he did decades ago, but things that are still happening. And that gives me a lot of hope in that arena, too, which is really exciting to see. So. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. Okay, well, um, before we wrap up, I just wanted to ask you real quick, like, is there anything else? Obviously, we could talk about this for hours, but is there anything else that if you could convey one other thing um, to, to me, to to anybody listening? Like, what would that be? Like, what do we need to know? Like, what? I mean, and obviously, that's a very big question, but you could convey anything else. Um, what would that be? Like, what do you have to to share with us? Yeah. Well, as we were um, talking and as, um, yeah, we were going back and forth sharing different things. One of the verses that has, um, that the Lord has used so often to shape me in both past seasons and current season and to direct me in um, 
just how I should live my life and what I should be involved in comes from um, Jeremiah 29. And I know Jeremiah 29, 11 is like, <laughs> everyone says like the high school graduation verse or whatever, you know, like right. I know the plans I have for you of that verse, but there's a verse, a couple um, steps before that in verse seven that says, um, but seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you for in its welfare um, you'll find your welfare. Mm. And that was a verse that the Lord first showed to me back when I lived in Indianapolis and was pretty discontent about living there, didn't really want to be there and, um, you know, really wanted to be somewhere else. And he was shutting all those doors. Um, it was a verse that again, he has brought to mind, um, as I have, you know, lived in community here in Memphis and, become even more aware of injustices, whether those be racial or socioeconomic or whatever they might be. Um, and it's just a reminder to me um, that the Lord wants us as believers engaged in all of that mess. Mm-hmm. Um, he doesn't want us, we, we are to live quiet and peaceful lives, not stirring up contention, but I don't personally believe that that means that we never engage Mm -hmm. in the tension. Um, I think we need to engage in that. And I think that, um, you know, if, if you, um, if you are someone who has been born white, then learning what it looks like to use that voice, to use that white privilege on behalf of, um, of minorities, not for the sake of saving them or, um, or anything like that, but just recognizing this is a resource that I've been given, um, unfortunately, because of the injustices and because of the history of our country, it's a voice that has been, um, that is oftentimes louder and more well-received and more well-heard than a voice of the minorities. And, um, so simultaneously fighting that, fighting for the voice of minorities to be heard more, but also um, using our voice to seek that welfare um, for those around us um, as we engage in those relationships um, with people that don't look like us. Mm-hmm. I love that. That's so, so valuable and so important. And I'm I'm just really grateful for anyone who has made it this far um, into us chatting. Just, I can't imagine anyone not being so um, blessed by this conversation and just the impact um, and the things that are happening in Memphis and just how the Lord is stirring in our own hearts and what he's doing. And I just feel like um, I just want to sit and soak and I want to be a learner and I want to be aware and I want my eyes to be open. And so I'm just really grateful Um I'm just grateful for this whole conversation. I'm grateful for you and I'm grateful for your life and, and you being willing to share, you know, what your life experience. And, um, I think that is just so beautiful and something that I'm really thankful for. Um, so before we wrap up, my last question is what are you learning? What is like one thing that you're learning these days? It doesn't have to be anything crazy or wild, but in this season of your life, what are you learning right now? Yeah. Um, well, and this is such a crazy season. Um, I'm coming up on um, our first wedding anniversary in a little over a month, and we um, we weren't thinking, we weren't planning on having children for a couple of years. As the Lord bless us with a little one, like three months into our marriage, <laughs> and He's about to be here. And there's just so much that looks different than what I thought and what I planned. And when I look back over this last year and over the last year, but also drawing into 2019, um, I'm just seeing how much I have held tightly to what I thought life, you know, should look like and how much the Lord is breaking me of that. Um, and I'm very much someone that, um, likes to continually be moving forward. I don't like, um, you know, something hard or difficult happens, like let's deal with it and move on and be done and reconcile and whatever needs to be done, but like, let's not be there. And the Lord has been teaching me a lot of what it looks like to, um, sit in the pain and discomfort of that in order to grow, in order to reflect, um, in order to let him work in his own timing. Um, that's a been that's a, a big thing <laughs> and it's very uncomfortable and really not fun but um 
have been so thankful to see, to get to see him work through that as, um, as he has, as he's led me, um, to see just the measures of grace my husband has shown me. That is just a testimony of the grace that the Lord shows me. Um, all of those things together. Um, yeah, at the beginning of this year, um, I was just kind of feeling lost in my time with the Lord. Like it's just looked really different ever since I got married. You know, what does it look like to, um, to pursue the Lord, but also, you know, making my husband, my ministry and being available for him and serving him and blessing him. And, um, and so I've felt a little at odds with all of that. And coming into the beginning of this year, um, I started a study on just the names and the character of God. Mm -hmm. And that has been so good, just being reminded of who he is. Um, I think there are other times and seasons where it's, you know, been appropriate to study different books of the Bible and learn about, you know, different men and women of the Lord and their stories. But right now, um, he's really just been drawing me back to who he is and being reminded of um, his character and his love and care um, for all the details. So those are, yeah. I just love a couple that. Of those I things. love that. I'm so excited for you, Brian, and this new season and just what that's all going to look like. Um, and I know that it is, man, life is just throws us wild cards all the time. And it's so hard to navigate those things. And yeah. yet, um, I just have no doubt that you guys are going to be incredible parents and I'm mm-hmm. really, uh, really excited to see your cute little guy. He's going to be precious. I just, babies are the best, the best. I love so excited it too. Yeah. Yay. Oh, that is just so fun. Well, thank really? you so much sis for doing this and mm-hmm. sharing your heart and being available and, and using your voice. Um, I'm very grateful for you and I'm grateful for your friendship and I'm grateful for you being willing to be a part of this. So I just love you and I hope that we'll have you back on here soon. Same friend. Thank you so much for having me. This has been so good. Y'all, oh my goodness, were you not just so incredibly blessed by this? I can't even tell you how much Emily's friendship means to me and how much I adore her. I hope that y'all will follow along with her life, especially as her and her husband Brian get ready to welcome their new little guy into the family. If you guys want to follow along on her journey, you can find her on Instagram at Emily Holmes Weddings. And as always, if y'all want to stick around and see what's going on in my world, you can find me at Jessica Lauren Photo on Instagram. Next week, I am chatting with my friend Rochelle and we are talking about foster care and adoption, what it looks like to run hard after the Lord when life is crazy, how to be a good mom to teenage boys and everything in between. I hope that you guys will join us again here next week as I chat with my friend Rochelle.